are beginning a new series this morning called Mental, and we're going to be talking about our thought life, uh, the power of our thought life uh, in so many different areas, and we're going to just jump right in because it's just, we've got so many things to cover. This morning is kind of a, a uh, primer, uh, just really jumping around a di- bunch of different thoughts, a uh, bunch of different scriptures on what the Bible has to say about the power of the mind, the power of our thought life. And I don't know if you've noticed, but on this subject, we're not really trending in the right direction as a society right now. Um, Mental health problems, mental health disorders are on the rise. They're skyrocketing. They're going in the wrong direction. A lot of this started right around the time of COVID, but it was even before that. Um, it, it really goes back to, in another series, I was talking about this, it really goes back to almost around 2008, 2009. And what you saw there was the introduction of the smartphone, not to blame that completely, but there's so many things that came out of that um, and that changed our society. And what you saw from that was a, an increase in anxiety, depression, stress, uh, suicide, and really like fragility, just like people being fragile, not, not able to handle a lot, almost like people are sort of living at the red line. And so if you add the smallest thing, they, they feel like they're going to crumble, they're going to fall apart, not wanting to go to work, not wanting to be married, not wanting to do the most basic things in life. Um, I don't know if you know, but, you know, Jesus told us that this was going to happen. He told us that in the last days this would happen. Uh, In Matthew chapter 24, when he talked about what the end times was going to be like, he said, because of the the pressure, because of the darkness, because of the lawlessness that would be going on, really just because of the sin that would be present in the world, the access to sin that we'd never had before, all of these things, he said, the love of many would grow cold. The love of many would grow cold. He told us that would happen. But mental health disorders are on the rise. I, I could spend you know, the first third of my sermon convincing you of that, but I'm going to assume you already know that because we've talked about it before. So I'm not going to give you all the statistics and data, but I will say this, that young adults age age 12 to 25 are the group that's being disproportionately affected by this. So 25 years and younger ages, 12 to 25 Uh, All the statistics on all of these types of things, the anxiety, stress, depression, uh, they're almost double in that age category. Then, in that age category, females specifically are being affected even worse, again, almost double at the rate of, of, of the males in that category. So, that, but this is being observed worldwide. This is not just a national issue. It's, a, it's being observed worldwide, and certainly it has creeped into the church as well. Along with that, you see the need for uh, you know, counseling, services, therapy, things like that on the rise, and then certainly the rise of medication and drugs to help cope with those things, to help deal with some of those things, sort of as a way to mitigate some of those things. And those things are not uh, the drugs specifically. They're not the answer, nothing wrong with it to help it when you need it if you need it but that's not really going to solve it all that's going to do is is help the symptoms until you can figure out how to deal with what the real cause is so sometimes people need to take medication 
and such because they're, they're trying to get healthy and that can help you get healthy. In other words, it can help deal with the symptoms while you get healthy, but it's never going to actually get you healthy. I think everybody would agree and uh, understands that. Uh, John Hopkins University said in one study they did that about one in four adults, so that's 25%, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. That's a lot of people. And that's just like something that we would say could be diagnosed. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, account for people that aren't diagnosed, you know, and, and uh, may not rise to that level. Um, so I want to begin in Matthew chapter 14. Again, we're going to be several weeks in this, and we're going to unpack a lot of stuff. So this morning is just kind of an overview from a bunch of different angles. It may even feel a little bit scattered. I'm not sure because I just had so many things I wanted to sort of just wet your beak with this morning as we start thinking about this. But we're going to start in Matthew 14, verse 25, with the story of when Peter walked on the water. So Matthew 14, 25, it says, In the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Fourth watch of the night, uh, he came to them, that was Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So these are all uh, adult men, fishermen, strong guys, you know. A, they believe in ghosts apparently, and B... It says that they were terrified and they cried out with fear. Have you ever been so scared that you like screamed? How, what about the men? Because I, I have found myself on a couple of occasions involuntarily screaming because I was afraid of something. I could tell you one story that happened one time. Very short story. Very, very short story. Uh, my parents owned a plant nursery and I was out there pulling. And this is a very monotonous task, you know, so your mind, you just get you're all over the place. You, you know telling where your mind is while you're doing this because it just doesn't require any brain power. So you could get lost very easy. So I'm pulling weeds, you know, out of these buckets, and I pick up this bucket, and I go to, you know, I'm in la-la land. I'm not paying attention, and I'm pulling grass out. All of a sudden, this, this rat jumps out of the dirt at my face because he had burrowed a hole in the bottom of the bucket and it cleaned all the dirt out, and that was now his home. I had no idea. I'm picking up, I'm just holding, I'll go to pull grass. The rat jumps out of the dirt at my face. <laughs> I wish someone had a camera. I screamed like a little girl. Now, I thought I was out there by myself until I looked over, and there was this Vietnamese guy working in another nursery. He had on his big hat, and he was kneeling down. He thought it was hysterical. It, it made his day. He just thought it was the greatest thing ever. So maybe you've done that, cried out in fear. Well, that's what happens here. They, they're, they're, on, they're in the boat. We find out later there's wind, there's a little bit of a storm. This is kind of a creepy moment. You know, you can imagine this in your mind. You're on the boat, waves are going, it's 3 a.m. in the morning, you're probably dodging in and out of sleep, and you know, it's what well, you just got the moonlight, and all of a sudden you look across the sea, and you see this like wavy robe, you know, starting to head at you, floating across the water at you. Yeah, you can see why they would be terrified. And uh, it's, they said, oh, it's a ghost. And then they cried out in fear. Let's talk about what was going on in the disciples biologically at that moment. And it's going to make sense while we're talking about this later, so just bear with me. 
So their fight, their fight or flight response kicked in. And, and we know now scientifically what this was. Maybe the Bible writers didn't understand this, but you know, we, we live in an age of science. And so we have some understanding of this that maybe they didn't have. Their fight or flight response kick, kicked in. And I'm just going to have to read this because I'm not an expert in this by any means. But I'm going to read what I found. And some of us, we're so, you know, we're familiar with this. But basically, the sympathetic nervous system sends out impulses to glands and smooth muscles and tells the adrenal medulla to release adrenaline and noradrenaline into the bloodstream. These stress hormones cause several changes in the body. We've all experienced this, right? You're driving down the road, out of the corner of your eye, someone pulls out in front of you, and without thinking, you don't have time to think. You slam on the brakes, your, your foot almost voluntarily hits the brakes, swerves. Next thing you know, your heart's pumping like this, you're breathing, you, maybe the sweat starts coming. Your, your body just took over, and, and almost it was beyond your control. So this is what this is describing. Uh, at the same time, the hypothalamus releases CRF. This is an abbreviation for something else I'm not going to try to pronounce. Uh, releases CRF into the pituitary gland, activating the adrenal cortical system. The pituitary gland secretes the hormone ACTH, which moves through the bloodstream and ultimately arrives at the adrenal cortex, where it activates the release of approximately 30 different hormones that get the body prepared to deal with a threat. The sudden flood of adrenaline and noradrenaline and dozens of other hormones causes changes in the body that include heart rate and blood pressure increase. The pupils dilate to take in as much light as possible. The veins in the skin constrict to send more blood to major muscle groups. This is responsible for the chill that, we sometime, that is sometimes associated with fear. And that's because less blood uh, is in the skin to keep it warm because it's been diverted to other areas that needed it. Blood glucose, level, blood glucose levels <clears throat> increase. Muscles tense up, energized by adrenaline and glucose. This is responsible for goosebumps. When tiny muscles attached to each hair on the surface of the skin tense up, the hairs are forced upright, pulling skin with them. Smooth muscles relax in order to allow more oxygen into the lungs. Non-essential systems like digestion and immune systems shut down to allow more energy for emergency functions. Trouble focusing on small tasks occurs because the brain is directed to focus only on the big picture in order to determine where the threat is coming from. So all of that happens at just the introduction of basically a piece of information, or maybe we would call it a stimulus of some kind. But basically you have the disciples that are sitting there, and, you, and, and I want you to connect the dots of why we're going through all of this. The disciples are sitting there, maybe they're at perfect peace. A little bit of wind blowing, nodding in and out of sleep. All of a sudden, there is some other information that's introduced into their mind. And it sets off a chain reaction that leads to them being terrified and all of these symptoms and, and systems jumping into gear. Their body jumps into to action in response to a, a, a new piece of information that has come into their mind and it says they were terrified and they they screamed out 
And one of the things I want us to think about is that the information they thought they were receiving was incorrect. It was not a ghost. It wasn't something to be terrified of. It was actually just Jesus. And they had no reason for their heart and their blood pressure and, their, and 30 different hormones to jump into action. They, they had no reason for all of that to occur. But it was, it was actually just Jesus. It was something that should have relaxed them and, and calmed. But they misinterpreted a piece of information and it sent their body into a, a tailspin. I want you to see this morning that there is a very, very, very strong connection between your mind and the way that we behave as people. And in order to change behavior, we have to change the mind. And you have so many people that are walking around, like I said, with stress, depression. Where did that come from? Well, it came from bits of information that they received and perceived. Some of it real, some of it not. Some of it fabricated, some of it not. Some of it things that you got no business worrying about. And yet, as that information entered your mind, it sets off a series of responses in your body, many of which you're not even in control over. For, for example, if you go home today and you get on social media and you find out that some bank halfway across the world closed down and, now, and they start talking about how that's going to affect your pocketbook and how it's going to affect your investments, you didn't even know that information five minutes ago and so you were at peace. Now you're starting to worry about your investments and your, and your money and, oh man, where does it go from here? Well, what if there's a financial collapse? And, then, and what begins to happen? All these responses kick into gear as response to that information that may not even be relevant to you. It may, it may not even have the effects that you're afraid of. Do you know how many times, I, I was trying to figure this out, I wish I could find some statistics on this. Do you know how many times all of these systems that we just described, these, these physical, biological systems, kick into place? I wonder what the percentage of the time is that there was an actual threat. Because in my life, I think it's very low. It's like, I, I, I can, I can, we could all tell story after story. I remember one night laying in bed, sound asleep, and I heard this gigantic thud crash. I'm thinking, someone's breaking in the house, right? That's the first thought. You're, in, you're lying in bed, you're, and you sit up immediately. You, someone's breaking in the house. I jump out of bed. My heart's pounding. I run looking around the house. I never could find out what it was. <laughs> I, I'm looking around like, this gigantic thud. Well, a couple of days later, I go in the kid's bathroom. And they had, they had something, some toy suction cup to the bathroom, and the suction cups gave way, and it crashed into the bathtub. I didn't even find it out till two days later. But how many times do these, these, these systems kick in, and it's like the, it's not even anything. And maybe it's not this dramatic, but how many times do you get worried about something? Worried about losing the job? Worried about a health situation? Worried about something in the economy? Worried about the Ukraine war? Worried about the worried, worried, worried? And then a few days later you forget about it because you kept, you stopped feeding yourself on that. The world didn't end. It wasn't a health crisis. It wasn't, and you just go on about life as normal. Yet that's all taking a toll on your mental health and your physical body in the way that we conduct ourselves in this world. And in, in other sermons, we're going to get more specifically into that one area about how the world has changed 
and we're used to, without social media, without the internet, without the television, we were carrying very localized problems. But now we're carrying the weight of the world because now we know about stuff at every click, every turn, every thumb slide of the phone. We're finding out about new crisis, new chaos, new problem, new destruction over here. Guess what? You're not designed to carry that. You're not designed to. This is why humans are breaking down. You can barely carry your own problems. You can barely, barely carry the problems of your wife and kids, your husband and kids, your financial situation, your health situation, your parents' health, your local, localized family and problems. Now we're trying to carry what's going on in Russia, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on at the Capitol, what's going on in that. Guess what? The average person is not designed to carry that, nor should they, nor should they be carrying that. And, and we're seeing the results of that, and we're seeing the toll of that. That's going to be a future sermon. I'm not going to get too much into it this morning. So all this is triggered in their physical body because of something that came into their mind, and now their body's responding. Matthew 14, 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be Afraid. What does he do? He introduces a whole different set of information. So they thought it was a ghost. They were terrified and screamed like little girls. Then Jesus says, let me give you another piece of information. So he says, wait a minute. You were wrong about what you thought this was. Actually, it's me. It's Jesus. He says, take heart. In other words, be bold. Okay, be of good courage. And he says, do not be afraid. This would imply that we have control over this. Now, some of these, uh, some of these responses that, that we were talking about that are a little bit more immediate, you may not have control over. But a lot of the fear and anxiety that we deal with, we do have control over. And the reason we have control over it is because we have control over our minds. We have control over what we choose to think about. We have control over what we even allow in our minds in the first place. We have control over it. And so Jesus told them, as if they had control over it, do not be afraid. Do you know how many times the phrase, do not be afraid, is in the Bible? I don't either. I didn't count it for the, for the sermon. But it's a lot. These angels show up, and that's their first thing. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Take heart. Be encouraged. Over and over again, do not be afraid. Implying that you have control over it. Now, if you talk to the average person, they would think they have no control. I can't help it that I'm afraid. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can, because number one, you're thinking about the wrong things. You're worried about the wrong things. And you're allowing information into your mind that is creating that fear. And if you change the information and you change what you're meditating on, you're going to change that fear. And, and Jesus knew that, so he tells them, here's some other information. It's not a ghost. It's me, and therefore... Choose to not be afraid. And Peter answered him. I think Peter still had some uh, of those 30 hormones coursing through his blood and body. Because the, the thing that comes out of his mouth next, I'm like, what, what is he thinking? But he says, Lord, if it is you. Now, Jesus just said it was him. He said, this is so funny to me. This is so funny to me. And this is classic Peter. If you read the Gospels, Peter is always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's always saying the most ridiculous things. Um, it's just hilarious. I, I would love to have met Peter. He's kind of a funny guy. 
But Jesus, this situation is insane. We have someone walking on the water. We just, it's either a ghost or it's Jesus. That's kind of the only options and ghosts don't exist. So he, he and Jesus said, it is I. Don't be afraid. So now he's realizing it's Jesus and he says, well, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. I'm thinking, Jesus is probably thinking, I just said it was me. What? Who else would it be at this point, okay? So he says, if it is you, command me to come on the water. And Jesus said, come. I wonder if he did this more of almost as a joke. <laughs> like, like, sure, Peter. Come on, buddy. Let's, let's do this. So he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. This is amazing. Peter is actually walking on the water. Now, the question is, was Peter walking by strictly the power of Jesus on the water? In other words, did, did Jesus like point at him and you know this magical power that we couldn't see like came on Peter and he's walking across the water? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't partial of that, but it wasn't completely that because if it had been completely that, then Peter would have not started sinking. And why did he start sinking? Well, when he first came... He had his mind on one set of information. This is Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. Jesus calms the storms with a word. He's seen Jesus do miracles. He's got a lot of confidence. He steps out of that boat, and that first step, wow, couldn't believe it. He's standing on like he's on solid ground. He starts walking. He's like, this is unbelievable. He gets all the way almost to Jesus. Then another set of information begins coming in his mind. And it's, he begins to look at the wind, and he was afraid. How did he become afraid? Because he changed the information he was focusing on and that he was meditating on and that he was looking at. So he had been thinking about Jesus. Then he started looking at the wind and the waves. And what did that do? It created a fear response in him. And that because of that, that fear, his faith left. Basically, fear replaced his faith. And because of that, he began sinking. And this is so many, uh, this is a whole other sermon that we could talk about how we receive things from God. Uh, because faith plays such a vital role. And you can clearly see that one minute you can be in faith, and the next you can be in doubt just by what you're looking at, what you're meditating on, what you're thinking about. One moment he's getting an unbelievable miracle that as far as I know, no other human being on the planet has ever experienced by his faith in Christ. Then he, he switches and he looks at information and doubt replaces his faith and he begins to sink. So when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And of course, the Lord did save him. But what are the big lessons from this? Well, number one, the body's response to fear and other information is sometimes very difficult to control. And that's what they experienced at first. You, you, you see some information and your body reacts. Listen, if you're, if you're dealing with, we'll just name the, the kind of the big three, stress, anxiety, depression. If you're dealing with that, struggling with that, you know that feels sometimes helpless to control. Because sometimes you don't even know why you're stressed. I mean, how, how many times do you try to figure it out? I have this tightness in my chest. I feel stressed, I feel anxiety, I don't even know where it's coming from, why is it there? 
it's sometimes it's very difficult to control, but here's what you need to know. It's in response to something. It's, it's not just out of nowhere. It's actually an abnormal state of being. You know what the normal state of being is? Perfect peace. This is what God tells us we will walk in if our mind is fixed on Him. Perfect peace. The word is, we, it's translated perfect peace, but in the Hebrew, it's one word. It's shalom. And, and you don't, we don't have an English word that describes it just right, so we had to use two words. Perfect peace. Perfect completeness. Whole and content in every way. That's what shalom means. This is the greeting in Hebrew when people see each other. They don't say good morning. They say shalom. And they're saying that God kind of perfect peace be to you. That is the normal state of being that we should be walking in is shalom. Perfect peace. We've gotten so used to in this culture and society of this background stress, this background anxiety is just always there. There's always like this little percentage of stress and anxiety that's just bubbling underneath the surface. So few people are really just walking in perfect peace. And so many times we find ourselves asking, well, I, I don't even know why I'm stressed. I don't even know what I'm, well, but just you need to understand it's coming from something. There is some stimulus. There is some information. There is some thought pattern in your mind that is creating that response in your physical body. Something is telling your body there is a threat, there is a concern, there is something to be afraid of, there is a fear. It's there for a reason. But guess what? You can change it by changing what's coming into your mind. And we're going to be talking about that in this series. So it's very, like if you're feeling full of stress and anxiety, it's very difficult to just decide I'm not going to be stressed, and I'm just not going to have anxiety. That can be very difficult to control. But what you can control, and what, what is well within your control, is the information that you allow into your mind. Because what? Well, you can change the channel. You can close the internet browser. You can block that person or ignore their call or not respond to that email. We have a lot of control over the information that comes into our minds. And look, if you're overwhelmed by stress and anxiety, I can guarantee you it is a result of you are carrying things that you are not supposed to be carrying. And, and family members tend to be the worst about this. Somebody in the family is hurting, making bad choices, hurting themselves, and they, and they get all involved in carry. Look, a lot of times, that's not your load to carry. You can't, you can't make a person make right choices. There's only so much you can do. As a pastor, I, of course, I had to learn this very, very early on. Because I not only have my family problems and issues to deal with, there's a lot of other people's family problems that I have to get involved in. And I had to figure out a way, how do you stay in perfect peace while dealing with a lot of other people's issues and problems? And one of those foundational understandings is, number one, I can't care more than you do. Number two, I'm not going to try to care more than God does. And number three, all I can do is point you in the right direction, but I'm nobody's savior. I can point you in the right direction. 
I can give you the tools. I can show you where the answer is, but I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm not going to be the one to go walk you hand by hand. I'll show you where it is, but you have to make those choices to do it. Guess what? Some will, some won't. But I can't live in constant stress and anxiety over that, and that's the same for, for every person. So number one, once that information, this is what we learned from this story. Once information has come in, it's very difficult to, um, it's very difficult to control your response to that. That becomes very difficult. That's why I often say, especially with kids, I say, you know, we have to be so careful with what they see and hear on the Internet. Why? Because what they saw and heard on the Internet is probably permanent in their minds. Why? Because there's certain things you can't unsee and there's certain things you can't unhear. And we're not nearly as cautious and careful about this as we should be. It approaches the point of complete negligence, actually, for many people and many parents. But for a child, they can, in one second, they can see something on the Internet that will be with them for the rest of their life. They'll never forget it. And they'll never unsee it, and they'll never unhear it. So that's why I'm saying it's very difficult to control the response, but what you can control is whether you allow the information to come in in the first place or not. That's where you win the battle. Once the information's there, it can be difficult to get rid of. Where you win the battle is by what you let in in the first place. That's where we fight it. Let's talk about the brain and the role that it plays in our behavior and actions. Let's ponder that question for just a moment. What role does the mind play in our behavior and actions? We don't often think about this or, or ponder it because we just live. And we're a, we're a multi-layered being that has multi-facets, uh, you know, that control our behavior and our speech and our thought patterns and all that. We don't really think about it, but... What role does the mind play in our behavior and actions? I've got a little picture I want to show you this morning. How many of you remember the evil villain Krang from Ninja Turtles? Do you, do you guys remember Krang? The, uh, it's like the little brain inside the, the robot. There, there it is. Oh, yeah, there he is. Just by a show of hands, how many of you know who Krang is? That's sad. That is so sad. That is only 50% or less of you. That is just very disappointing. But Krang was an evil villain in the Ninja Turtles. And if you could see the picture, you'll see right in the abdominal area, we have this little spongy brain creature. And he's got this gigantic robot body that he is controlling. And this, this was my mental picture when I was thinking about this question of what role does the mind play in our behavior and actions. Now for Crank, yeah, he's this little brain, and you can imagine against the Ninja Turtles, he, he's, he's powerless. He can't do anything. He's got to have his body. He's got to have his robotic body. And man, you look, there's like lasers and saws and missiles and all kinds. So the little brain, he, he's got a lot of control. Matter of fact, he's got two little joysticks that he's moving around you know, controlling this gigantic body. In a sense, okay, not exactly like this, but in a sense, that's what's happening. If you took your brain out of your body, your body would be useless. It would fall to the ground and it would, it would die. As a matter of fact, this is why if you get shot in the head, you generally die. It's not a guarantee that you're going to die. And the brain 
the brain itself, it, it doesn't direct, it, you don't directly need it for life in the sense that it's not like your heart or your lungs, but the reason that you need it is because it's controlling those areas. And so if an area of the brain, for example, gets shot and destroyed that is controlling the heart, then it, it stops immediately. Because there have been people that have been shot in the head and they survive because it didn't, it didn't destroy one of those areas that is controlling human life. The brain is the motherboard of our, of our body and of our life on this planet. The body's not just going around doing its own thing, right? It, it's being controlled. You got out of bed, got dressed, came here this morning because your brain decided to. And if your brain was separate from your body, it would have laid in bed and it would have had a lot of good thoughts and a lot of good intentions and a, a lot of desires to get up and go to church, but no ability to do so without a body. On the other hand, if your body had been in bed and no brain, well, it would have never had a thought in the first place. would have never had a desire in the first place. It would just be laying there empty. So, you know, trying to understand the human body and the connection between the mind and the body, and then you also bring the spirit into it. We're going to get into that in, in some other sermons. But the mind controls the body. Y'all, you guys took the picture of Crane down a little too early. I was really enjoying that. Okay, we don't need it now, though. Thank you. But it's a lot like that. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind because if your mind is healthy, then your life on this planet, your relationships, your, 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 phys- your health is going to be good on this planet because your brain is controlling all of that. Like, for example, we think, well, I need to get in shape and work out and then I'll be physically healthy. Well, it starts, it's a mind issue. It's a mind issue. You have to first want to. You got to first. You got to first be able to de- decide to get up and go to the gym. If you're going to change your your spiritual life, you have to be able to make a decision. And if your mind is unhealthy and there's no motivation and you're depressed and you got no want to, your body's not going to do anything that your brain doesn't want to do. So in trying to change our lives and trying to improve our relationships, our physical health, our prayer lives. Our, our relationship with God, it's all going to come back to our mind. And this is why some have said that the mind is the battlefield where the war is waged. This is what Satan fights over. This is the, this is the area and the arena where Satan fights you is in the mind. Because he can't make you do anything, right? Sa- Satan cannot make you sin. He can't make you harm another person. He can't make you click on that. He can't. He can't make you do anything. All he can do is work through your own mind and get you to choose what he wants you to choose. That's it. That's the the only power that he has. Look at Matthew 7, 17. Jesus made this statement. He said, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. In other words, if the tree is healthy, then the fruit will be healthy. Let's read it from a standpoint of the mind because he doesn't actually tell us what he's talking about here. Could be the heart. It would apply to the heart. But it also applies to the mind. So let's read it that way. So every mind that is healthy, every healthy mind bears good fruit. But the diseased or the sick mind bears bad fruit. A healthy mind cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased mind bear good fruit. You ever looked at some person and after something they said or did, you're just like, man, you are sick. 
dude, you are a sick. You're not talking about their physical. You're talking about their mind. You're like, you are just a sick person, man. What is wrong with you? Well, yeah, that, that's what we're talking about. Why? Because out of a sick mind comes sick words. Out of a sick mind comes sick thoughts. And then sick words. Out of a sick mind comes sick, hateful, angry actions. If you're, in a, if you're in a marriage where somebody gets angry and they fly off the handle and they say just the most hateful, ugly things, that's because they're sick in here and they're sick in here. And there's a connection between heart, mind, and body. We're not even talking about the heart today. We're going to get to that in another sermon. But they're very, very closely connected. But when the mind is healthy, when the mind is in shalom, the mind is, is peace, then your responses and your words and your actions are also in peace. Very, very strong connection here. So we've got the, the one who created the body and mind, the one who designed the whole thing, the one who wrote the owner's manual. He looks at us and he says, look, a healthy tree bears good fruit. In other words, if you want to change the fruit, if you want to change the actions, you don't actually start there. You don't go to a tree that has, you know, producing rotten apples and, and you start messing with the apples. That, that doesn't do anything. If you want to change it, you've got to go to the root of the problem. You gotta you gotta go to the soil, you gotta go to the fertilizer, you gotta start working on the tree, and then it will produce fruit naturally by what what it is. So many times in the Christian life and even the way sermons are preached, it's just focusing on the fruit. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Well, the problem is if you're sick up here or in here, how are you gonna do that? We just learned that you can't be sick up here and here and then somehow produce good fruit. You've got to start with the mind, and the heart. Genesis 6-5, this was a problem from the very beginning. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So what's he seeing? The fruit, the bad fruit that we were just talking about. He's visually seeing the fruit, but he knows there's something behind the fruit. So look at what he says. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, what, so this is whenever God decided to flood the earth in the days of Noah. And he says when he looked, he saw nothing but wickedness. But he saw beyond the, the wickedness. And he said that every intention of the heart was rotten. Every intention of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And therefore, the actions were going to only be evil continually. And it, So the, the evilness of their heart and their thoughts is what was producing the evil of the actions. And make no mistake, it's the same today. Every single thing you see in this world that you think is disgusting, every single thing you see in this world that just blows your mind, how could you think like that? How could you say that thing? Why would you bring a drag queen to a library with little children? Like the, every normal person looks at that and goes, are we, have we lost our mind? It's not that we've lost our mind, it's that our minds are rotten and sick and wicked and evil. And until there's a change up here and in here, all we're going to keep seeing is the fruit of wickedness and evil increase. Our society is sick right now. We're sick at the roots. We're, we're sick in here and in here because we've abandoned God's law and God's moral standard. We've, we've left God. And now we've been left to our own devices. And this happens a few times in Scripture 
where God sends the warning, sends the warning, sends the warning, says, hey, you need to change, you need to stop, you need to repent. Hey, you need to change, you need to stop, you need to repent. This is what's going to happen if you don't. He sends the warning for year, 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 years. And then eventually he says, okay, have it your way. If you want to go down this path, I'm going to let you go down it, and you're not going to like the consequences. You're not going to like the consequences of what's happening. And I do think that that's happening in our nation right now. But understand, when you, when you try to figure it out and you go, man, why is this happening? Why are people thinking this way? Why is it going this way? It's because we are sick up here and here. And we're just, all we're doing is seeing the fruit of it. So if you want to change the fruit, you have to change the mind. You have to change, the mind has to be healthy, the heart has to be healthy. Philippians 4.8, this is another thing that we learn from Scripture. We are absolutely in control of what we think on. We are absolutely in control and in charge of our minds and what we think about. It is, I'm not saying that it's easy. Like, for example, if I start saying pink elephant, pink elephant, pink elephant, pink it's all you can think about. Even now, you can't. It's pink elephant, you can't stop thinking about it until we start talking about something else. You know, red well, red well. Okay, then you start thinking about that. It can be very difficult to change what you're thinking on, but the Bible does tell us that we're in control of it. Philippians 4.8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So it's a command. He says, if there's anything true, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, he said, I want you to make a, con a conscious choice to think on these things. In the Old Testament, when God was talking to the children of Israel about the foreign nations, he would talk to them about some of their, their abominations and practices, and he would, say, he, he would say, do not even speak of it in your gatherings or, or when you get together. He said, don't even... He said, the things that they are doing are unspeakable, so don't even get together and talk about it. Don't even mention, don't even get together and go, did you hear what those Hittites were doing? Did you hear what the Philistines were doing? Oh, my God. Listen, listen what they're doing now. But look at what we do. We feed our minds on that continually. We feed our minds continually on the, the latest outrage. The latest immorality. Oh my God, can you believe what they're doing now? Oh, can you believe this? Listen, all I'm saying is that's information into your mind and it's going to produce a result. It's going to produce a consequence. If you can't figure out where all the stress and all the anxiety and all the depression, if you can't figure out where it's coming from, I promise you it has to do with what you're feeding on and what you're allowing in here. And this is what Paul said to his church and, and the believers at Philippi. He said, look, if it's true, if it's honorable, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's commendable, if it's excellent, he said, think on these things. There's other things that shouldn't even be mentioned, talked about, or thought about. I mean, me and my wife do that to each other all the time. You know, we'll, we'll come across some piece of information and one of us is like talking to the other. We're like, oh, did you hear so-and-so? And about a couple sentences get out and we're like, I don't want to hear about that. Let's talk about something else. I'm having a great day. And I don't want to start thinking about what some idiot did halfway across the country. Let, let's just focus on our thing. And we laugh and move on. Why? Because we understand those things have the ability to change your peace and steal your peace. Why does Paul say to think on these things uh, and not think on other things? Because there will be massive consequences in your behavior and in your choices as a result of what you think on. 
That's one of the revelations. The other revelation is not only do you have control of what you think about, you're also specifically told not to think about certain things. Romans 12, 3, Paul said, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. So he says you're, 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 all, you're supposed to be in control of your mind about what you think about and what you don't think about. There should be specific things in your mind that you say, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to allow any space in my mind to be given up towards that. Every sin that's ever been committed started with a thought. Now there are, there are sins in the thought realm. But still, every sin that was ever acted out it first started with a thought. Or it first started with a thought pattern, a, a way of thinking, a belief system, a belief about who God is, a belief about who you are, a belief about who other humans are. Every sin comes from a thought pattern. Every rebellion towards God begins in the mind. Marriages are destroyed because of thoughts. Marriages are destroyed after thoughts. Look, I, because of thoughts. I've seen so many marriages destroyed because somebody got it in their mind, so, uh, something about their spouse that there may have been a partial truth, but it wasn't all the way true, and they begin to believe that and think that about that person. There was almost nothing you could do to change their mind. For you, you could be in a marriage, and all of a sudden you find this thought coming in. Well, everybody around here just takes me for granted. Nobody, nobody, nobody appreciates me for what I do. That thought unchecked will produce results and consequences and fruit in your life. And this is what Satan is after. See, when, a, when, a, when Satan's hand is revealed, it's a little bit easier. You remember when uh, G Satan tried to tempt Jesus? And it's Satan. He's face to face with him. And he's telling him, you know, well, if you bow down to me, you know, I'll give you all these nations. Or if you jump off the cliff, you know, won't the angels gather you? And so he's, he's tempting Jesus. Well, number one, I mean, Jesus, it's obvious that is Satan, number one. And there's no question where these thoughts or these ideas are coming from. But it's a little bit more difficult when you don't realize where the thoughts are coming from. For example, the one we just mentioned, well, nobody around here appreciates me. You know, everybody, everybody takes me for granted. That's a little more difficult to realize where that thought's coming from. But I can promise you this, it, if it's unchecked, it will produce results in your life and in your marriage. You will start acting a certain way out of that thought. If a person is disgruntled in their marriage, if, if a husband is disgruntled in the, in the romantic aspect or intimate aspect of his marriage, and certain thoughts start turning up here, it will lead to action. And for believers, we have to recognize thoughts that aren't in line with the Word of God. We've got to immediately recognize thoughts and go, wait a minute, where did that thought come from? I've, I've had thoughts where I wanted to slap myself and go, where did that come from? But did you know that having a thought uh, by itself is not a sin? I mean, you could think about something and you go, my God, why am I thinking about that? Where did that come from? You don't always have control about that, but you do have control of whether you leave it checked or unchecked. And whether you're allowed to hang out there, and whether you're allowed to build a home there, and a fortress there, and a stronghold there. 
many, many, many thoughts that come into our mind need to be checked against the Word of God and go, that is not a godly thought. That is not a biblical thought. That, that's not even me. I think, I think that's coming from Satan or that's coming from my flesh, my sin nature. I'm not leaving that up here because if I leave that up here, it's going to eventually produce results and consequences and behavior in my life. Your self-esteem, your self-worth, your worldview, all controlled by your thoughts. In Isaiah chapter 26, 3, and we're going to get into this in, uh, in more weeks, and I'm going to read this, and we're going to close this morning. I love this passage so, so much. I mentioned it earlier. And anytime my heart is in turmoil, anytime I'm feeling stressed or I have anxiety, I think about this scripture because it reminds me that it's not supposed to be that way. Isaiah chapter 26, 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace. Remember that word is shalom. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind, mind, is fixed or stayed on you. One translation says fixed. I think ESV says stayed. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. So it reminds me that whatever I'm experiencing has to do with what my mind is fixed on. And if my mind is fixed on God and His Word and His truths and His promises, that's going to produce a certain level of mental and emotional health. If my mind is fixed on other things, I'm going to experience the results of that. But just let this be a reminder. You don't have to figure it all out this morning. We're going to be going through this for several weeks. But let this be a reminder to you this week. If you start to feel some of that, you start to feel some of that rising up in here, quote this scripture to yourself. Lord, you keep him in perfect peace. You keep him in perfect shalom whose mind is fixed on you. I choose to fix my mind on you right now. I can't control this, that, and the other, and all, but I fix my mind on you. There are so many truths of God that would set us free if we would, from anxiety and, and stress and things like that, if we would fix our mind on that truth. What about this one just alone? This one, how many times is this throughout the Bible where he says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Just that one right there. When I fix my mind on that statement, I'm not alone in this. I'm not walking through this alone. No, God says He's with me. He also said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Bible tells we can cast our care upon Him for He cares for us. You fix your mind on a few of those little truths and watch it melt away. Watch it, watch it change because of what your mind is fixed on. Amen.